You are now listening to Portionality Podcast. I am your host, Portia D. Hey, Saints. Welcome back to the Portionality Podcast. I am your host, Portia D. And I have a super duper extra special guest with me on the (laughs) podcast today. This is something that I was like, yes, God. You see, this is what happens, Saints. If you just happen to come to my house, you know what? You're going to be doing a podcast. So just (laughs) FYI, if you're ever in the Portionality domain, you're doing a podcast, I'm throwing this mic in front of your face. And so today I have on the show, Ken. Candice Marie Benbo. <laughs> hey, Candice. Hey, girl. Yes. So, for those of you who may not know Candice or may not be familiar with her work, you're clearly sleeping under a rock. But <laughs> just to give you some background information, Candice Marie Benbo is a creative writer, theologian. You have seen her feature in Essence Magazine, Glamour Magazine, The Roots, L. She is the creator, yes, creator <laughs> and found door of the Red Lip Theology. She is the curator and creator of the Lemonade Syllabus 443, a seat at the table syllabus. And I like to call her a culture professor, the Beyonce enthusiast, a Carter specialist, (laughs) and Blue Ivy's godmother. Yes. Yes. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And you know, and shout out to, you know, Sarah and Rumi, you know. Yeah, I'm their nanny. (laughs) You know, so (laughs) welcome to the show for the first and prayerfully never ever the last. Candice Marie Bumbo. Hey, Candice. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so, so glad excited. you could be here. Thanks. Yes. And so, Candace, you know, you literally are like the Carter specialist. You know everything about Beyonce and Jay-Z. <laughs> like, there is nothing that comes into the Carter universe that you don't know about the moment it drops. And so, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I turn to you immediately when something happens. I was like, it's not a real commentary until Candace says something. And oh, so, thank you. Yes. And so, I just went to the On the Run Tour 2 concert. You know, mm-hmm. I just went um, up at MetLife Stadium. And I had the time of my life. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, girl, I had the time of my life. And I thought I about you the amazing. whole night. I know it's amazing. It's so funny because I've gotten text and I've gotten posts and messages from people who have either been to the international leg or this part of it. And I was like, yo, like when I saw it, I thought about you. I can't wait to hear what you think about the show. So I was supposed to go the first, the opening night, but then my grandmother got sick. Mm. So... I'm trying to figure out whether or not I'm going to go to the Atlanta show or to the Nashville show. I've never only seen her. I've never not just gone once. So I need to figure out what cities, plural, I'm going to. I might try to make Houston. Mm. I've I've always wanted to see her perform in her hometown. So Mm. we'll see. We shall see, but I heard it's so good. Oh, it's so good. I got my whole life. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was a little situation at the MetLife Stadium because, you know, there was thunder and lightning and all that stuff. You know, the hand of God was at work. But, you know, once it cleared up, we were we were good. Heard. So, I saw the Formation Tour. Mm-hmm. At City Field? No. It was the Raleigh Show. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened. And we were, I want to say it was like an hour and a half wait. Mm-hmm. And she came back and it started raining again and she killed. It was like one of the, and it started raining again a little harder when she was performing Freedom. Mm. So when they did the water dance with the rain and then she literally put 
she literally stopped the music and said, I just want to dance in the rain. And she just danced and, like, twirled and was like, this is so freeing. Oh, my God. It was, I think, probably... I wrote about it, and I said that that show should go down as, like, one of, like, the best in history mm-hmm. of just, like, what she did after. And not a lot of people left. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it was, she just, I mean, I can talk about her all day, but she just is all things to everybody, including me. She's amazing. And yeah. so I have this theory where I'm like, Beyonce is Beyonce. This is just me, right? Mm-hmm. Just me, Portia. Beyonce is Beyonce, not just because of her talent, but Beyonce right. is Beyonce because of her work ethic. Right. So what tidbits do you see in gems that Beyonce drops for work ethic that you think that we should be taking away? And how does that inspire you? Well, it's so funny because her um, Vogue, um, her Vogue cover and story just came out. Yeah. And in it, she talks a lot about self-care and rest and stopping. And I think that for me, what I have learned and I think I see with her is that you push into the projects and the things that give you life, right? Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, as it's giving you life, you also allow yourself to to be sustained by the things outside that fuel that passion, right? So when you look at her Instagram, when you look at the stories that, that we hear about her, she does not, you know, shy away from travel, shy away from spending time with her family and with her friends. And I think that any strong, severe, epic work ethic includes a healthy balance like you know it's so funny because we've had these like we got these memes and these cups that say like you have the same hours in the day as Beyonce um but then she comes out with this story about like I go to sleep I turn my phone (laughs) off and like I rest which means that Beyonce don't even have the same hours in the day as we think Beyonce does right so so there's the there's this importance of and it's been really important to me um of recognizing that it's easier for me to work when it's something that I really love and when it's something that I'm passionate in, passionate in. But at the same time, it's also easy for me to get tunnel vision in those mm-hmm. in those in those projects because I love them so much that I also have to surround myself with people who've been like, okay, so you've been you've been writing for like two days straight. Like I need you to come up for air like you've been you know doing this for x amount of time like i need you to to breathe so i think that what we get from her is that as intentional that you are in being epic you need to also be as intentional for caring for yourself Mm, yeah that's important and so I appreciate that. Just, ooh, be intentional about caring for yourself. Mm. I think we don't always do that a good job of that as black women. You know, and honestly, to be completely frank, we are the ones responsible for caring for ourselves. Right. Because clearly nobody else gives a flying flip. Yeah, at all. At all. At all. You know, and so, okay, so I got to tell you my highlight. You know, I know you're going to go see it, you know, but I got (laughs) to tell you my highlight. It was two things. It was the beginning and it was the end. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, in the beginning, they come out together Mm -hmm. as one unit and they end the show as a unit and so it's almost like for me everything that happens in Lemonade everything that happens in 444 and it's almost like yes there's the story but the greater story is but we're here and that we've made it and so um, can you talk to us a little bit about the Carter narrative from Lemonade to 444 to Everything is Love and the importance of just celebrating black love and black marriage and black families 
in this moment. Yeah, so I think um, it's it's really funny because I'm actually writing about it. um, Just that everything is... A lot of people want to see everything is love as like this, you know, period. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, that it's the end of this kind of like story and narrative. And I think that that it becomes the end only if you saw it Mm. in like these three acts, right? But the truth is, is that like we have always gotten music from B that told us that Jay was probably doing stuff he had no business doing. You know what I'm saying? Like because because at the end of the day, and I mean this is a, a a topic for another conversation, but brothers just don't always do what they're supposed to do, even if they got the hottest chick in the game wearing their chain. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it it you because we live in a world and in a culture. That makes it easy for them to lack integrity, mm-hmm. pulling a whole integrity. And so, you know, she has always given us that. Even with the surprise album, there are songs on there that's like, yeah, like she's telling us, you know, everything isn't all good. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I appreciate and what I value, um, particularly as having kind of my own journey of one grief and of sadness during the same period as Lemonade. Mm -hmm. Having conversations with friends who are like, we've never really seen what it looked like for reconciliation to take place in our house, Mm. right? So, you know, my mom, before she passed, would always tell me when it came to relationships that she felt like she taught me how to be independent to a fault. Mm. And that was partly because I had only just seen my mother do it. Um, and she refused. My dad was one of those that, like, he only wanted to be a dad in as much as my mom was going to let him be in and out of her life. And she was like, so that's not what we're doing with, like, I got a daughter. So we're not, you know, we're not, we're not playing those games. But I have friends who, when we talked about Lemonade, they were like, I never saw, I either saw my mama say, leave because we're not doing this. Or I saw my mama stay and take whatever he gave Mm. and never hold him accountable. And so what I think that we see with this narrative is how beautiful it looks for a woman to say, I love you. Mm. You've hurt me deeply. If you're willing to do the work then I need to also think about whether or not I'm willing to do the work. I mean, because in there's several songs in Lemonade where she lets it be clear she left. You know what I'm saying? Like, she, I walked I, I walked away and you cried. You know what I'm saying? Like, that there is, that there's a certain kind of accountability and responsibility that she requires in the relationship mm-hmm. that, that they have going forward. So what's beautiful is, because, oh, so because it's Beyonce, I can listen to Lemonade all day. So Lemonade is the last, it's the last physical album I purchased in a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's, I can't remember the first, I can't remember the the previous album that I purchased. Like I had to have a physical copy of Lemonade. But there's something beautiful. So I can listen to that one by itself. 444 and everything is love. Um... 444 is really, I. it's almost impossible for me to listen to it mm. outside of listening to it with Lemonade. Mm-hmm. Um, listening to, to Everything is Love in that kind of context, for me, makes it so beautiful because we get to see what it looks like to say, you know, 
there's something beautiful mm-hmm. about working. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's something beautiful about... Um, I like to use the analogy, although it's a troubling analogy sometimes, it's like when when the dust settles after a major catastrophe, you you get the, the, the dust settling is probably the most powerful that you've been since before the, you know what I'm saying, before the catastrophe itself. Because once it settles, you get the opportunity to say, mm. do I want to rebuild mm-hmm. with what I have? Or do I want to walk away and start something new, right? Mm. And so part of what we get with everything is love and with On the Run too, is that they are showing us it was all that once the dust settled, that was something that they felt like was worth rebuilding and fighting for right there. Um, and it's a different house, right? It's a different, it's a different structure. And I think that they show us that that's possible. So in ways, and people laugh at me, but in ways that I have, for somebody I've never met, like, I don't think I'm rooting for two people more than than them, because I think that they just showed us what what's possible when we do our own work, mm-hmm. and then come together to do the collective work to make a relationship whole and healthy. Mm, that's good. Yeah. That's real good. I, it is my prayer, right, that people would see what they can recover after the dust settles. Yeah. You know, and you ask yeah. that question of, well, can these bones live? Like, right. literally, after the flesh has fallen apart, after the soul of the whole relationship has literally left, and there's yeah. nothing but bones that remain, can they live? And can right. they dance again? Yeah. And what I hear you saying is, in that, is like, absolutely yes. Yeah, and they can and they can live in different ways, right? So, mm-hmm. it would have been equally as powerful for and okay, if she walked away and was like, I'm not doing this yeah. with you anymore. I'm going to be, I'm going to heal, and I'm going to do what I need to do in order to, to ensure that I'm in a in a relationship that gives me whole and full love. And I think that that's, you know, a lot of people critiqued Lemonade, and even to a point critique everything is love, as like, oh, she stayed, you mm-hmm. know, like... And that she's trying to teach us to stay. And that's not what's really happening. It's mm-hmm. it's when you come into a whole and healthy self-awareness of your of, of who you are and what it takes to be, you know, fully you and what it takes to be in a relationship with you, you can smile at someone and say, like, you we actually don't need to be together anymore, right? Mm-hmm. You can smile at someone and say, whatever it looks like and takes. To make this work, I want to do it, and neither one of those answers is wrong. Um, and so, I think I'm ex- I'm excited for what we get from this. I think that um, I I know from my own email emails that people send and messages that I get this this conversation that they sparked has caused a lot of people to confront, you know, their own stuff. Um, Brothers at Red 443 reached out to me and was like, I saw myself in that. Like, I need to I need to think about, and I saw myself in, in Lemonade, going back and listening to it. Um, I really need to sit with myself. And mm-hmm. sisters were saying, like, you know, like, I want to work it out, but I don't want people to think that I'm weak. How do I work through that? Mm-hmm. So... I'm really excited about if we move, be what it looks like for us to move beyond the Carters, 
but and what it looks like for us to move beyond this particular moment to say, how do we use their story yep. as a as a as a one of many that can speak to the power of what it looks like to be emotionally mature and emotionally healthy people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really excited about what that looks like. Those are conversations that I really want to continue to foster yep. and hope that I do on my work. So, um, so that we can not only be better for each other, but I mean, better for ourselves. Solid. And so speaking of your work, I want to uh, talk, t- I want to ask you a little bit about Red Lip Theology. But before I do that, um, as we transition out of the Carters, I want to say, you know, thank you for this, the work that you do oh, and just the, the revelations that you help us to see as people, you know, just out here, you know, thank I really you. do. Um, I can remember um, where I was when Lemonade Syllabus dropped and I was like, oh, this is so cool. Thank you. Like, and it was great. And I, you know, have not read everything on it, but it was Neither like, have I. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good tool for me to say there is stuff I need to read. Right. And so for everybody out there who has not read um, Lemonade Syllabus, go get it and actually like take a look, a real hard look at it because these are books and text and arts and works and music that will benefit your life. Like, Thank you. like Candace, you have worked really hard um, on that. And so I really want people to access that and then utilize it. Right. Right? Yeah. It's not just to be cute. Like, it's a tool to help better ourselves. And um, and I remember when 443 dropped, I remember being in Disney World. It was 4th of July. <laughs> yeah. And I remember being at Epcot, and I read it right there. And I just want to say that for me, in my own journey, I read it. And I read it, and when I had read it, it gave me confirmation of being able to say to someone, um, I love you, I appreciate you, and it's okay that we don't become anything else more than this. Right, and so right. I want to say I've appreciated your work. Thank I'm a you. beneficiary of just Thank the thing you. that you've produced. And so, yeah, like, it's just it's like, yeah, I appreciate you. So, yeah, Thank girl. <laughs> that, means, that means a lot. Yeah, that it means a lot. It, it, it has helped in my own facilitation and healing. So, um, Red Lip Theology. Yeah. Okay, so she's not just a Carter's enthusiast, y'all. She is <laughs> a red lipstick, lipstick yeah. makeup beauty connoisseur. You. Um, you know, I'm just looking forward to whenever her makeup line drops. Yes. Um, it's, you know? it's, it is some. It is a baby that I have like abandoned for such a long time that I actually get to pick back up so mm-hmm. I'm really really excited about it. I can't wait. I'm like Thank okay you. so there's Fenty Beauty there is you know um, some other black brands out there that right. I'm facing out on oh Minted and yes um, that is amazing you got Beauty Bakery yes. that oh my god so I'm, I mean they, they're not paying me for this but um, <laughs> Beauty Bakery literally just came out with I want to say 30 new foundation shades mm. that go from one, the number, they are numbered one to 59. And they are different because their darkest shade is number one. And they took mm. the color wheel from darkest to light versus how most of the company, all with the exception with of light. them, start with light and go to darkest. And their stuff is phenomenal. So, yeah, so it is happening. Um, I'm really excited about it. So, um, yeah, so Relic Theology really came about, I think it was my third year of seminary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
going to a majority white institution. Been there. My um, <laughs> my classmates <laughs> were half mad that they had to take a black church studies course. And so we were in the library, and one of my classmates was trying to be sarcastic and said, so, Candace, do you consider yourself a black theologian or a womanist theologian or, like, a regular normal theologian? And <laughs> it was... It was, the, like... I was sitting in I was sitting in Duke Duke Div Library just looking because I just Trash was like what question. is what you know and before I realized it I said I'm a red lip theologian and he was like a what and as it came out of my mouth I was like what did I just say but then I got confident in it and was like yeah I'm a red lip theologian and he said who started that and I said me um, and so. It really became, for me, um, my desire. Uh, I'm womanist first and foremost. Womanism yes. gave me the tools and um, to name myself. Womanist theology gave me the tools to name my relationship with God. Um, but then there were also parts of me that I felt like um, womanist theology just didn't speak to, you know, um, and I, I've said this to many of them and um, of of our mothers in womanism, but there's a way in which a lot of a lot of womanist theology can become very classist, and that um, you better say so that it's it's a conversation that's really relegated to just the academy, right? Mm-hmm. So you got this entire theological discourse that speaks about black women's spiritual relationships and spiritual mm-hmm. lives and the bulk of black women who black spiritual women don't have any idea what womanist theology or is. access to it exactly and so for me it became a conversation of what does my faith look like it's right. not just this right it's not just womanist i am someone who is sex positive i'm someone who is is very intentional about affirming that within my sensuality and my sexuality and my spirituality, God resides fully and completely. Um, and as someone who my mother and father were never married, um, and so I was born to a single mom, I'm born at this nexus of what, you know, the church considers to be sinful, right? You know, um, and so... Coming into that space, but then and and also hearing sermons my entire life that basically told me that if my parents would have obeyed God more, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like those those are sermons that we heard, and trying to find ways to lean into loving myself, lean into um, the language that womanism gave me, Relic Theology was born out of that. And mm-hmm. it was, it really came for me through beauty industry participation that like, I remember I came out of a really bad breakup and right before I started seminary and um, my best friend came for my birthday, this is like in 2012, and I looked a mess. Like she was, she was like, "What, what are, what are you, what are you doing?" And I remember she said it was, it was funny because she was like, "You are AKA and you are out here looking a hot mess." Oh. And, <laughs> and I felt a kind of way um, because we were going to the mall and I had it was a Saturday and I had on trousers and penny loafers 
And she penny said, Penny loafers. Penny loafers. And she said, What you want in December? Because my birthday is December 11th. She said, What you want to do is look like this, go and sit in the mall with me. Um, and before she left, she sat me down and she said, I need you to promise me that you are going to find a way to love yourself as much as you loved him. Mm. And it stung because I was like, I don't know how to do that. And so she's like, you're going to have to figure it out. And so she made me promise to to start buying clothes that fit. She made me promise to, to put energy and effort into makeup and my appearance. And I started doing that. Um, and so for me, conversations about faith, and it became daily affirmations for me that when I was putting on my face, I was saying I was fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, I was mm. saying that, you know, I I am worth every good thing. You know, I was saying it to myself even if I wasn't believing it at the time. Mm. Um, and so Relic Theology really was born out of not this reality or this 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 lie that makeup makes us beautiful because I think that that's not the truth. I think that it enhances beauty that we already has and allows us to lean into our creativity. But playing in makeup and and participating in beauty industry allowed something to awaken in me that was gone. Mm. And it allowed something to rise in me that reconnected me to the divine. And so even now, like, my friends will tell you, when I'm having a hard week or a hard day, I'll say, I need to go play and makeup. And I will go to my table. Um, I have one, I only have one album that I listen to when I'm playing and makeup, and that's Rihanna's um, anti-album. But um, I will... Listen to Rihanna. I will go on YouTube or Pinterest and find some looks to recreate. Mm -hmm. And I'll just speak over myself and talk Mm -hmm. over myself. And so, really, and then I'll be, I'll look at myself and be like, good God, you look good. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I will, I will remember literally remember myself. And so, relic theology for me comes for sisters like me mm. who we not always going to get what we need in the church because in a lot of ways the church still I'm I am a highly and well-degreed sister who was born and raised in the church but the church still don't rock with me in a lot of ways because mm. of the ways in which I affirmed me and so and womanist theology doesn't rock me in a lot of ways because of the ways that in which I affirm me and and speak a certain kind of truth mm-hmm. about um, how we can hold our own selves back sometimes. And so, um, relic theology was created to do just that to to give space to sisters who are like me who are trying to figure out what it looks like to be fully church fully hip-hop, you know what I'm saying, fully spiritual, fully sexual, like, you know, we don't have to come into church crying on Sunday morning because we were intimate on Saturday night anymore, like, you know, that we found a way to to recognize that that who we are is still fully good and divine, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, that's where, that's where Relic Theology came from, and that's the work that I aim to do through it. Mm, that's so good. That's so rich. Candace, as you were speaking, um, of course, 
I when you soon as you said woman is I my mind immediately went to our dearly departed beloved yeah. you know uh, Reverend Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon yeah. and literally us doing the work our souls must have yeah. and you yeah. are doing that with Thank your theology you. you are creating a new wave in a new lane and I want you to to know this and I'm just like. I don't know. Maybe this is like the path of preacher, you know, prophetic, whatever in me. Um, Portia, you know, I'm just Portia. Um, but I, I really do believe that you are what you are doing is fruitful work. Thank what you. you are doing is important work. And there are women who are here, women who are have passed on and our ancestors and women who have yet to be born, who will benefit and thrive because you are here in this point in time. And I, I believe that you're not just one who is going to who has studied but you're going to be studied. Oh, right? thank you. Yeah. Like, thank you. You know, I don't even know if you know just the power of what you do now, right now, and what it's going to mean down the line. Thank and you, you may never even see the fruit of what you're doing now. Right. Down the yeah, line. yeah. But just know that your work will outlast even your flesh. Thank you. So, that means a lot. And I, I, I hold... I hold that um, very dear, just as I hold that. I actually got to have a conversation with Dr. Cannon about Red Lip Theology. Mm, come um, on. So, and it got her blessing. So I, I was, I will hold that with me. Yeah, I will hold that with me. We had a, we had a really great conversation um, in California at AAR a couple of years ago about what I was trying to do and what, you know, what I was hoping that this work could do. Um, and she was just really, really, really sweet. And I, and I, I still hold that. And I've talked to, I talked to a couple of our foremothers about, um, relic theology and they've been very, very supportive. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I I believe it. You know, uh, you know, even though we were joking about lip service before, right? but I, I, I really like for real, like I don't say things I don't mean. Thank you. Like wholeheartedly, especially over the podcast. Right. (laughs) Right. So when I tell you that, I mean that. Thank you. Yeah, your work Thank is going you. to outlast your flesh, and you, you don't just study; you will be studied. Thank you. Yeah, there will be some little black girl who's going to come yes. along, and is going to go that. through your papers and go through your um, digital archive, and it's just going to be like this is the work that we still need, Thank and you. will and it will continue to live on. Thank you. Um, and speaking of that, um, just doing the work, you know, you did the seat at the table syllabus, yes, and which I love. And if you did not listen to Seat at the Table, y'all, I don't know what's wrong with y'all. You know, yeah, I listen to it every morning because my alarm is rise. Mm. Oh, that yeah, makes sense. My alarm is rise. <laughs> I, there's something about listening to her, listening to that song. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it now and I'm just getting chills. I think that we will be, we talked a lot about Lemonade as a culture, but I think we will be for years I don't think we have set enough with what Solange gave us with the seat at the table. I think it's one of those things that yeah. we'll appreciate later. Yeah, down we've the line. not set a, enough with that nope. at all. Yeah. But in that vein, though, um, as she has tell, told us that we have a seat at the table and created right. a table, and I think you are creating a table Thank you. with new chairs Thank that are well cushioned that support our bodies and our figures. Um, I do want to ask you, um, what do you think about the seats at the wrong tables? Ah. <laughs> okay. So there are some preacher, pastor, trying to be politicians, rubbing elbows. You know, I haven't really given this 
topic much thought because I was like, but what do I need to really like what do I need to say that has not yet been said or already said so I was just like you know I don't, I don't know I don't know because I'm just like that's trash like I don't even need to dignify that but Candace Bembo Candace Marie Bembo okay red lip theologian culture professor extraordinaire tell us about these seats at these wrong tables that we are pulling up to not just in the church but just around culture what are we doing we messing up girl come on help us in. help us today man so so i saw some folks at a table mm. <laughs> um hamming it up just i mean just cooning and um but you know it's and so i wrote about um particularly because this meeting with trump right because we're talking about um the inner city and i'll use that in air quotes um meeting that President Trump had with um, inner city pastors around prison reform. And the common refrain kept being, thank you so much for this seat at the table. Mm. And I just remember sitting at my grandmother's table and I thought about all of the dinners that she's had there and how it's an honor to sit there, Mm. right? And that there's no honor in sitting in front of, across from, beside someone who continues to devalue and diminish you, and you know that. Um, and so what was really interesting was that I wrote about it um, in the particular context of that meeting. But when I think about it, so many of us have sat and desired to see, to sit at tables that literally meant us no, meant us no good, mm. right? But but there was something that needed to be fed in us um, that because it was lacking, it saw it's literally saw po- poison as nourishment, right? Um, and Ooh. so and so we sat at tables, whether they were professional ones, whether they were personal ones or vocational ones. We sat at tables knowing mm. that. These people didn't care about us. These opportunities diminished us. But it was just something about them pulling out their seat that whether we thought if we sat there long enough, it would change them, or if we said the right thing, it would spark an interest in them in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And so part of it for me is like, yeah, I'm upset that, and I, I think that, and I think so many of us, because there was a there was an open letter, several open letters that came out afterwards. Um, there's there's something to be said about being prophetic that mm-hmm. we have to speak truth to power and we have to speak against the powers, right? So so in one setting, seeing seeing um, my piece of seat at the table in that vein and being very much knowing that that part of the work I, that I believe and know God has called me to do is prophetic in that work and in that way. But then the pastoral part, even though I think that even if we're not pastors, if you have a heart for people, that there's a certain level of passion and, and pastoral care that you have, mm-hmm. is being very honest about the fact that we've all sat at the table and look just as dumb as they did, <laughs> you know. Um, and then we all left that table after eating and still being very hungry, mm. right? Um, because it was it wasn't filling, and we it just made us look like fools. And so part of where um, part of where I hope we get 
um, even with the work that I do at Red Lip Feet with Red Lip Theology and the other projects that I'm that I'm a part of, is that I want people to I want people when my when my table is wobbly or when it looks like the chairs are exclusionary, I want somebody to call me out on them, right? Like I don't there there should be nobody playing musical chairs when it comes to freedom. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there should be nobody doing that when it comes to 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 our wholeness and our wellness. And I think that what we saw two weeks ago um, is the ways in which we can be easily manipulated when we're not doing our own work, mm. um, and when when someone can see in us the need for validity and the need for affirmation. Um, and so hopefully, you know, um, and the saga is still continuing because these particular preachers aren't taking these ills as quietly and as graciously as they need to. <laughs> but I think, I think it does speak to uh, partly where people are seeing the church today um, and, and it also sees to the lengths that we will go for validation. And that's just scary. Mm. It's just there's no other word for it. It's mm. scary. It, it is scary, and it's actually disgusting and disappointing yeah. Yeah. to be truthful. Because I don't know how, and this is just me, you know, whatever. But I don't know how you can proclaim to love Jesus and proclaim mm-hmm. to love God, and then to be able to even position yourself and to accept the invitation right. to be in this space. Like I just. I don't understand. But at the same time, we are calling out people politically. But I wonder sometimes when we call around people around the church tables in the ways that we that we should. No. And it <laughs> because, frustrates me. Because, yeah, because, I mean, nobody, nobody, there are very few people who, in any instance, are going to call you out at the table because that means that that, that jeopardizes their chair mm-hmm. and their seat, right? So... Standing's good for my back, though. You know what I'm saying? Hello. <laughs> like, there, there's something. It, and so it was easy. It was, it was easy for a lot of preachers to call out this meeting because you have a president who is a narcissistic xenophobe. Like, it, with all of the, the offenses that Trump has, has, has done, um, it was easy to call out pastors who would align them, him, themselves with him. What is hard to do and what people are showing us seems to is seemingly impossible for them to mm-hmm. do is to call out and hold accountable leaders whose ethical boundaries, personal ethics, right, professional ethics, those violations don't rise to that particular level, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So as long as you're good enough and we can say, well, he might do so-and-so, but at least he's not like so-and-so, then we're not going to say anything, mm-hmm. right? But for every for every offense or every time that you say, yeah, but, there were so many people that were harmed by the yeah, but, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many people who who are who are literally, you know, crushed under the weight of leadership, particularly church leadership, that we just don't want to call out, you know, because we see, and I've had this conversation with several of my friends, we see ethical violations just being, you know, 
whether they agree with, you know, same gender relationships or will they allow for women to be in leadership? Um, and if they check those boxes, they're good mm-hmm. because we got so many other big fish to fight, right? Like we got so many others who don't check those boxes that let's not pay attention to them, right? But then it doesn't matter if they can check those boxes, but they treat their staffs like tyrants, like they're, mm-hmm. you know, tyrannical leaders or, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if they can check those boxes, but who they are as, you know, men and women in their professional life is trash. You know, so it's like we... We don't hold people... We hold people accountable that we want to. Mm. And we hold them accountable when it doesn't cost us anything, mm. right? So, so is in, in many veins, and I'm, I'm the first to admit it, in many veins, it's easy for me to write a piece against those pastors. I don't want to be in that space, no way. That's it. You know what I'm saying? It's much more difficult if you come to me and you tell me that someone that I love... Mm-hmm. And that I have a deep and profound respect for has done something to hurt you, or is doing some something that that is deeply unethical. That's much more difficult. Yeah. But that's that's the kind of I gotta love him or her enough. Yeah. To say what you doing? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I gotta. I have to, and I have to trust that our relationship can sustain that. Yeah. You know and. Real quickly, like an example of that is, I mean, we've been talking, a lot of folks have been talking for weeks about the whole issue with um, the saga and drama around Charlemagne the God, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 that there were a lot of black feminists and women who are in pop culture and digital media who said absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people called them out because they were like, wait a minute, like if when this was so-and-so and such-and-such, you had so much to say, but now it's your boy, you're not saying anything, mm-hmm. right? And so, and we got to take that L too, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, 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 that even if it's our friend, yeah. if it means calling them and saying, I don't know what all that is that's going on, but you know that I have to publicly affirm that we got to stand up for sisters and yeah. we got to, you know, I can't just be silent because my my silence suggests that I'm complicit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that is when it becomes going back to what we said earlier about doing that soul work. You know, yeah. they're like, I'm at a point now where I'm grateful that my friends can say particularly in my homeboys, that if they on some stupid stuff, I don't have no problem telling them. One, because I know what it looks like to be on the other side of that stupid stuff, right? <laughs> I know I know what it looks like to have been harmed by it. Mm-hmm. And I know what it looks like to say that if, you know, if you're going to be in, in relationship with me as a friend and as a sister, you can't be out here harming other people um, and saying it. And then being able to say that, you know, I, I love you, I ain't rocking with you right here, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and that don't mean that our relationship has to end, but it does mean that, that this is this is where I am in the sand, and I think that we we've got to become much we've got to become much more confident 
in saying that mm-hmm. and and hearing that than we than we often are. Okay, that's real. So, Candace, as we approach um, our time, I want to ask you. So, I'm going to name some words, uh-huh. and I want you to say the first thing that comes to mind when I Uh-oh. say these words. Uh oh, I'm okay. getting my Oprah Super Soul yeah. session on uh-huh. right now. Okay, yeah. um, sisterhood, grace. Mm. Love. Powerful. Healing. Necessary. Joy. Palpable. Yellow. Everything. Brokenness. Real. Jesus. Amazing. And Candace. A wonder. That's all right. So, Candace. Yes. I want you to tell people, one, how they can find you. And, girl, I need you to plug your upcoming book. Tell them <laughs> that you got a book coming out. So, I need I y'all do. to buy her book when it comes out. <laughs> Don't be petty right now. Don't say I didn't tell you she got a book coming out. So, there's a book coming. It's coming yeah, real soon. Yeah. Make sure you buy it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram. At uh, Candice Bimbo, so at C A N D I C E B E N B O W. Um, Facebook. Okay, so are, are we doing Facebook anymore? I don't really know. Um, I mean, it's there. So I mean, so <laughs> I should probably say I should probably plug my my Facebook because I think my agent gonna get mad at me. But my Facebook is facebook.com Candice Bimbo writes. So not my. Play play page, like my personal page or my professional page, Candace Bimbo writes. Um, yes, so I have been really, really blessed to sign with a Serendipity Literary Agency. Um, and am working on my first book that will be out, Cross Fingers, All Things Ago in 2019. Yes, the title, so I've never, so this is. This is this is I think that this is the official one. I oh shucks! I think I'm giving you I think I'm giving you an exclusive. Oh shucks! Um, the title is on Sundays I'd rather twerk, mm-hmm. and so yeah, essays on race, sex, and walking away from a guy who hates red lipstick. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wait to ooh, I cannot yeah. wait to read this. On Sundays I'd rather twerk. On Sundays I'd rather twerk. Yep. To Beyonce. And yes. And Riri. Yes. And Derek Holmes kidding. <laughs> but you know, I mean, Jesus saves. His little scat in Jesus saves can can can, can get your proper too. <laughs> It has been my joy and pleasure to have you here. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you for being here, girl. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. This is so much fun. Yes. Thanks so much for joining me on another episode of Portionality Podcast. Can't wait to hear from you when you email me directly at portionality at gmail.com with your topics and with your listener questions. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Portionality. And as always, peace, light, and love, and namaste to you.